Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. My name is Ruth Fagan, and today we're studying Tractate Psachim, Dafnan Zayin, page 57. Today's Daf is entirely agotic in nature, consisting of four separate stories. Since the first story about giving pe'ah from vegetables is intimately linked with yesterday's daf and is only tangentially linked to the other three stories, as such I'd like to skip that. The next three agadot are linked by a common theme. They all discuss the activity of the koanim in the time that the temple was still standing, and they all portray at least some of these koanim in a negative light. A bit of background is necessary to understand the first agadah. During the time of King David, the Kohanim were divided into 24 groups referred to as Mishmarot. Twice a year, each Mishmar would spend one week in temple service. The Mishmarot themselves were divided into six Bateav, or families. Each Bateav would serve one day of the week, and on Shabbat, the entire Mishmar would gather together for temple service. At the end of each day, the portions of the sacrifices that belonged to the Kohanim would be distributed among that day's family. Among these portions were the orot, the skins of the offerings, which, according to Vayikra, belong not to the owners of the offerings, but to the Kohanim. We learn a Braita. Barishona, hayumenichim orot korashim belishkat beta parva, laerv hayumechalkinotan leanshe beta av, vahayu balez raot notalin otam bizroa, hitkinu shiyu mechalkinotam mi erv shabbat leerv shabbat. Originally, the orot would be distributed to the family at the end of each day. But what happened was that Baalei's raot strong-armed Kohanim from among the family Notlin Otam would take more than was their due. As a solution to this problem, the Kohanim together decided to wait and distribute the Orot on Erev Shabbat when all the different families of the Mishmar were present. The idea being that this larger community of Kohanim would ensure equitable distribution of the Orot. However, even so, the G'dolei Kohanim, the greatest of the Kohanim, still would take more than their fair share. So ultimately, it was decided that the Orot themselves should be rededicated back to the temple so that the temple treasury could use the money for the beautification of the temple itself. Thus, we have an interesting and disturbing story about the abuse of power on the part of both strong-armed Kohanim and G'dolei Kohanim who in the context of temple service based on greed corrupted the fair distribution of what was essentially the wages of their brethren.
The last Agad on our page also deals with the behavior of Kohanim Gdolim, but this time with a twist. While reproof for the corrupt behavior of the Kohanim in the first Agadah was placed in the hands of their fellow Kohanim, who decided that a change in the manner of distributing the Orot was necessary, and the second, in the second Agadah it is the Tana, Abba Shaul ben Bodnis, who chastises the corrupt Kohanim, in this third Agadah introduces a new commentator on the behavior of the Kohanim, the Temple, Herself. Tanu Rabbanan, Arbat Tzvachot Tzavcha Azara. The temple courtyard itself cried out four times, twice demanding that the Kohen Gadol leave the temple, twice welcoming a Kohen Gadol despite the fact that he or his family had some significant flaw. Thus, the Azara, the courtyard of the temple, is personified as the conscience of Israel, ejecting or welcoming the Kohen Gadol based on who he was. We will focus on the first two of these four times. Rishona tsuunikan b'nei eli shetimu hechal Hashem. Depart from here, sons of Eli, who contaminated God's sanctuary. This is a reference to the sons of Eli who were in charge of the Ohel Moed in the time of the prophet Shmuel prior to the building of the temple. According to Shmuel Aleph Perak Bet, Eli's sons exhorted portions of the sacrifices from their owners before the sacrifices had been offered on the altar. Their corrupt behavior contaminated the temple, and Shmuel Aleph goes on to say that due to their behavior, the Kunagdola was taken away from Eli's descendants. The courtyard cried out a second time, V'od tzavcha, semikan, Yisachar ish kfar barkai, depart from here, Yisachar, a man from the village of Barkai, shemechabed et atzmo, who honors himself, umechalel kodshe shamaim, but desecrates the kodashim, the sacred offerings of heavens, to have a karich yade bishirai, for he would wrap his hand with a piece of silk, v'avid avodah and perform the sacrificial offerings. Now, what was it that Yisachar Ishkfar Bakai did that was so horrible that the Azara demanded his ejection? What does it mean that he wrapped his hand with silk? Well, according to Vayikra, chapter 4, verse 25, kohen midam chatat the kohen shall take some of the blood of the chatat offering with his finger and place it on the horns of the altar. Since the previous three verses were all talking about what the Kohen should do, why does this verse use the proper noun Kohen rather than just saying he? According to the rabbis, this is to teach us that the Kohen must perform all aspects of the service directly, himself, with his own body, without anything intervening between his skin and the offerings. By wrapping his hand with silk, Yisachar Ishkfar Barkai desecrated the sacred temple offerings. By refusing to handle the flesh and blood of the sacrifices directly, he deprives them of their sanctity. The Gemara goes on to relate that as a punishment for this, Yisachar has both his hands cut off by the decree of King Yanai. King Yanai and his wife are arguing about what meat is tastier, lamb or kid, with the king choosing kid and the queen choosing lamb. The king decides to ask Yisachar, who given that the Kohen Gadol eats daily from the sacrifices, should certainly know what type of meat is tastier. Whatever sacrifice God prefers, lamb or kid, is clearly the tastier offering.
Not only does Issachar side with the queen that lamb is tastier, certainly a foolish thing to do, we are told that he responds, he waved his hand dismissively when talking to the king. As a result, the king said, since he has no fear of the monarchy, let his right hand be cut off. Since the Kohen uses his right hand to offer the sacrifices, Issachar knows that if he loses his right hand, he will lose his position as Kohen Gadol. He therefore bribes the king's service to cut off his left hand instead, but to no avail. When the king found out, he had Issachar's right hand cut off as well. Ardav concludes with Ravashi and Rabbi Shimon, who note that Issachar did not know Mishnah or even Torah well, as it is clear from both the Mishnah and from the Torah itself, that lambs and goats are entirely equivalent in God's eyes. Here again we see yet another deeper, more disturbing level of corruption among the high priests. The corruption here is such that it actually affects the sacrificial workings of the temple. Eli's sons ate from the sacrifices before they had been appropriately consecrated to God. And Yisachar put his own personal honor and aesthetics above God's desire for the Kohen Gadol to fully and directly immerse his physical as well as spiritual self in the temple service. This desecration of the intimate workings of the temple calls forth an anguished cry of rejection from the temple herself. So now that our Daf and indeed the fourth chapter of Psachim have drawn to a close, what are we to make of these disturbing stories, which taken together suggest that the entire functioning of the temple was irrevocably corrupt? Certainly it's possible to see these stories, written by rabbis many years after the destruction of the temple, as part of a polemic necessary to convince the Jewish people that in some ways they might be better off without the temple. But I think that there's a deeper message embedded in the indictment of the Kohanim. One of the major differences between Kohanim as leaders of the nation and rabbis as leaders of the nation is that Kohanim served God in some sense, not because they deserve to, but due to an accident of birth. There's no guarantee that just because someone is born into a position that they have or will develop the qualities of character necessary to perform that job. The rabbis, however, came to their positions as leaders of the Jewish community, not due to lineage, birth heritage, but rather through intense immersion in study of Jewish texts. The rabbis spent their days constantly asking the question, what is it that God wants of us? How do these texts, both those that I'm studying and those that I'm creating, help the Jewish people to remain in an intimate relationship with God? Physical actions, even those involved with temple service, do not ensure a heart that is connected to God, a heart that is connected to Am Yisrael. It is only through study, the study that Yisachar lacked, that we can prevent our greed and corruption from coming between us and our fellow humans, between us and God. If you aren't born a Kohen, as most of us are not, you can't become a Kohen. But those who immerse themselves in a life of Torah, say the rabbis, ultimately will be able to serve both God and the Jewish people in a way that even many Kohanim Gedolim were not. Thanks for listening, and I hope you return tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros, 
from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.